Um, with Jake's permission, I'd like to share with you. My kids are at that age now that I have to get permission to share stories that involve them. Used to be able to get away with so much more when they were younger. With his permission, I'd like to share with you about his current desire to remove Monday and Tuesday from every school week. (laughs) (laughs) Having started high school uh, last September... Oh, flip me, I feel the presence of God. (laughs) Not even sure that phrase should have come out of my mouth like that, but... Uh, Having started high school last September... This is not even an emotional story and I'm crying. Um, Having started high school last September, it became clear that life would just be better if we could fast forward to Wednesday... His timetable for each day and week is on an app on his phone, and that app entirely sets the mood in the morning. The desire and enthusiasm to go to school is directly linked to that app. I don't even need to know what the lessons are for the day. I can tell if it's a good kind of day or a bad kind of day. The mood is set by whether there are lessons that we do or don't like, ones that we do or don't want to do, ones that we dislike or ones that we love. Monday and Tuesday include things like double science. All the scientists in the house are like, yes, I love Monday and Tuesday. And uh, Jake, in fact, when I asked permission to share this story, he took the time to screenshot Monday and Tuesday for me and send it to me to prove how bad it is in his world. They are, quote, rubbish. That's a word I hear a lot on a Monday and a Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday, including things like PE, drama, and history, are, quote, good days. Now, if Jake could fast forward every school week to Wednesday, skip some lessons along the way, and leave with great GCSEs, he'd do it. It's interesting how from a young age, there's something in us that wishes at times life had a fast-forward button. Wouldn't you like that? If life at times had a, a fast-forward button, to be able to hurry things along, to be able to speed some stuff up, to be able to whiz past some things, beyond some stuff, particularly the tough stuff, the difficult stuff, the challenging stuff, or the boring times, or the waiting times. There's a desire that's in us all to, when we're faced with those kind of times, to want to get to better, more exciting, more enjoyable stuff. Life would be great if it had a fast-forward button. I love the fast forward button on my TV remote. This, my friends, I feel is one of life's greatest inventions. <laughs> Mine has three speeds, times six, times 12, and times 30. As far as I'm concerned, times six and times 12 are for wusses. <laughs> it's times 30 all the way. When Claire's times six, I'm like, no, this is not good. When I'm at the helm, it's times 30 all the way. Every ad break, I play that game. Can I times 30 through the, fa- through the ads and land smack on the point where the program kicks back in? Every game. I celebrate and draw attention to my achievements when I pull it off. My kids now celebrate with me and congratulate. Just little affirming comments like, oh, that was good fast forwarding, Dad. Just little encouragement and endorsement. But if I miss past some stuff, fly past part of the story, miss some of what's going on, 
into the program and have to do what I shall recall the rewind of shame. It kills me. Now, being honest, at times I craze the family because I'm a little bit too trigger happy on the fast forward button. Ad breaks, skip them. Boring bits in the program, skip them. This is my philosophy. Those coming up after the break teasers, skip them. Stupid things, right? I don't want to know what's coming up. I just want to get there. I'm quite rubbish at waiting. Bits I don't like, bits I can't watch. Bits that are horrible to watch, like when someone dislocates something on 24 hours in A&E and they're about to put it back, skip them. Then the tough bits, the difficult bits, the horrible moments, skip them. There's not a lot of program left, you're right. <laughs> At times I've just skipped by it, I'll be alright, and then you realise you've missed a crucial part of the story that kind of helped make it all make sense. Now all this skip it, skip it, skip it, we know life doesn't work like that, right? Even if we wanted to fast forward some bits, we can't. And this year, I think for Jake, is the first year, as he's grown into a young man, where he's really been learning about how the journey from where we are to where we want to be will in truth take us through some stuff we'd rather not go through and would actually really rather skip if we could fast forward. Now, I want to apply that today to uh, that thought today to our life and our relationship with God. You know, I've been sharing um, over the last month or so and sent videos and messages out about feeling God saying for us about making this year as a church family one where we seek to learn together. Perhaps you could bring that first slide up for me, AD, please, mate. Where we seek to learn together and grow together in knowing and in flowing, in knowing the Word, the Bible, in flowing in the Holy Spirit. And I've talked about feeling God highlighting this whole thing of us learning together, about us growing together. That's why we launched the academy. And the sense that I've been sharing in that period is about the feeling that a new dynamic of the Word and the Spirit moving among us is found in us being teachable. I talked about us just living in a place of being uh, teachable and coming in humility. Humility being a disposition of our heart. Just coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, teach us. Jesus is our great example. He's the, he's the great pattern. He was fully human as he walked this earth. And so we come to him in humility and just say, Jesus, teach me, help me. But I want to suggest from looking at the life of Jesus in just a moment, we'll just dive into one part. One story that's well known. I want to suggest from looking at the life of Jesus, who, as I just said, is our greatest example, that the journey to new levels will take us through some times being honestly, being honest, sorry, we'd probably rather not have to go through and would quite like to fast forward if we could. I want to get there, God. But if that road is marked with some times of waiting... If that mode is marked with sometimes where it's difficult, if that road is marked with sometimes where it's difficult or challenging uh, and just tough, I'd rather, if I could go around it, I would. Get me to the exciting stuff. I'd love, being honest, this is me now, I'd love to fast forward to just knowing more of the Word, fast forward to greater levels of revelation, fast forward to flowing in greater levels of the power of the Holy Spirit. Get me to the exciting stuff. I don't want to wait. 
I don't want to go through tough things, difficult things, challenging stuff. But the truth is that in Christ's school, there is no, quote, fast track stream. There's no fast forward buttons for us as a Christian because we understand that being a disciple is about journeying with Jesus. It's about faithfully and consistently walking with him. It's about showing up even when it's tough. It's about walking with him through some of the tough stuff in life that will inevitably come along the way. It's about walking with him through some of the times when this life feels a bit of a grind. Anyone ever find that? Anyone else ever think, do you know what? It's just a bit of a grind. It's not all the angel Gabriel turning up and rocking my world. It's not all exciting. There are these periods of, of waiting. And so Christ, as we look at him, he teaches us this as a fully, fully man, fully God. He lived out his life fully humanly here. He played no trump card. You know this. He played no get out of jail free card. He lived life fully human. He emptied himself of every divine privilege and card that he could have possibly played to live this life out as an example to us, as a a pattern to us. And so when I look at Jesus, I'm looking at someone who has known what it is to be tempted in every way like I'm tempted, who knows what it is to live with with struggle and, and, and weakness, but a man who lived fully dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, the only man to ever walk this world sinlessly and to overcome the grave, to overcome the devil, to overcome the power of sin and he is my greatest example and so as I look to him today there are lessons from his life as he lived here on earth that I begin to learn and as I learn from him I'm saying you know what Jesus is not just teaching me from a place of theory but from a place of experience it's not like he's got all the idea and doesn't know the reality of what it is to live this life he understands and so in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 we're going to begin there and we're going to move into chapter 4 verse 11 I want to just touch on a well-known moment in Jesus's life as soon as Jesus was baptized he went up out of the water at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Oh Lord, can I just fast forward that bit? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written. Would you say that with me today? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If, if, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Why? For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Luke's account tells us, and you'd have heard other people teach this and preach this before, I'm sure, but Luke's account tells us in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan, having been baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 14 says, at the end of that, at the kind of post-the-wilderness uh, experience, Jesus returned from the wilderness to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, how many people know that verse 1 and verse 14, being full of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, sounds great. Sign me up for that. I want to be full of the Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if in uh, Matthew here, if we could just kind of fast forward from verse, uh, sorry, in Luke, if we could just fast forward from kind of verse 1 to verse 14, that would be great. But the truth is, as we've seen in Matthew's account, you'll see in Luke's as well if you read it, Jesus had to go through some stuff to get there. As we look at his own human journey from one level to another, and I'll expand what I mean on that in a moment, we learn a key lesson, that the journey from full and led to power will be marked with times of waiting, will be marked with challenges, will be marked with tests, will be marked with temptation, will be marked with tough stuff. Now you're sitting there thinking, Daryl, you're really cheering me up heaps this morning. Stay in. Bear with me. Jesus' own journey takes him almost in the blink of an eye from the highs of his baptism to the desert of temptation. He's baptized. He has the endorsement of the Father. This is my son. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. The dove comes and rests upon him. The endorsement of the Holy Spirit. He's got the endorsement of John the Baptist. He's being led by the Holy Spirit and then this happens. Well, here's the first news flash, really. God's blessing isn't a guarantee to an easier life. It's not. But I don't believe that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to give him a tough time. I believe this was about a shift. A shift. This was about Jesus going in at one level, going through some stuff, that he might come out at a different level. To come out in the power of the Holy Spirit, there were 12 verses of experience that Jesus couldn't just skip. He couldn't just fast forward. In fact, when the devil offers him an easier fast-track route to a level of glory, he refuses it. All this I will give you as he offers him. A fast track read that says, you know, you could skip the cross, you could skip the sacrifice, you could skip all that stuff. Just look, here's a level of glory. Jesus turns it down. He understands the greater glory is in living according to the Father's plan, in the sacrifice, in the cross, in the dying. He knew what was going to be achieved in that. So the Holy Spirit is doing the leading. The devil is doing the tempting. God knew it would happen, but he had a plan. To fill Jesus with the Holy Spirit. To lead him through the wilderness, out of the wilderness, and into the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill him, lead him through, bring him out, and into the power of the Holy Spirit. It's John Mark Comer in the early weeks of the life group studies that we do who touches on this point that in those 40 days in the wilderness, what if in reality they were actually preparation? We often read them from the point of temptation, but what if we begin to read them from the point of preparation? Because at some point, everyone who walks with God will find themselves in a wilderness of waiting. 
At some point, everyone who walks with God will find themselves in a wilderness of difficulty. But what if in the switch, we actually began to understand God doesn't leave us in those moments. The Holy Spirit didn't leave Jesus in those moments. What if in those moments, God can actually use them to prepare us for new levels? What happens if that actually is about our empowerment? What if within them, actually, there is an opportunity for us to discover, to see the Holy Spirit move in new levels in our lives? Now, I know that when you're living in the moment versus a man who's preaching it in a pulpit, that's not always easy to hear. I mean, to be honest with you, when I turn to Jake and I just say, mate, you just got to go through it. I did, mum did, Beth did, and Amy did. Let me tell you, that don't really help. Always say that, Dad. Chris Vallotton says, there is no victory without a battle, there's no testimony without a test, and there's no miracle without an impossible circumstance. And in the wilderness of waiting and in the wilderness of difficulty, we have the opportunity to meet with God. Jesus is fasting. He, in silence and solitude, he's seeking the Father. But I want you to note, it wasn't just the Father who was showing up. The devil was showing up too. There was communion and conflict. There were blessings and buffetings. There were what Pastor Basil, my friend from India, says, brickbats and bouquets. The two somehow often seem to go together. Communion and conflict, blessings and buffetings, brickbats and bouquets. But it was in that that it took Jesus. He, in the world, that was what took him from being full and led to moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a big difference. It's one thing to be led by the Spirit. It's another to move and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we begin to see is that in Jesus' life, in his human life, there's this shift. The Holy Spirit's power becomes evident and obvious in his life in a new way. As a man, now his life begins to have a new level of impact upon people and his ministry really begins. Verse 14 says, And Jesus returned in Luke 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Something shifted when he went through the wilderness. Another level began to kick in. He didn't move from full and led to power without some time in a wilderness. He didn't move from full and led to power until he'd experienced some conflict with the devil and overcome. There was no fast track for Jesus from one level of experience of the Holy Spirit in his life to another. So there's not for me. And although I wish I could fast forward to moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth is learning to overcome, learning to wait, learning to come through opposition and battles and tests and trials and temptation and difficult stuff is part of the journey that takes us there. To move in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to learn to overcome those things along the way. There is no fast track. And when people start being led by the Spirit, and people want to grow in the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, but it's true, the devil will show up. 
He'll show up because you can bet your bottom dollar you're stirring up some opposition. I don't have a, a book on theology for this, but I'll just say this. I don't think the devil's too bothered if we're not too bothered. But if we want to move and grow in the Holy Spirit, it's a different story. You heard that saying before? New levels, new devils. And whenever we find ourselves in some tough moments, I want to remind you today, as I read this story, to remember this, that the Holy Spirit can lead you through. That the Holy Spirit can lead you out. And that the Holy Spirit can lead you into something new. And I'm inspired by Jesus. How he lived in the middle ground from being full and led to moving in power. And here what we see in this story is that he teaches us that the key to victory and to new levels of the Holy Spirit in our life is this book. It's the Word. It's the Bible. Jesus' relationship with the Word of God is at the heart of the shift. It's at the heart of the victory. It's at the heart of moving up a gear, moving to new levels of the Holy Spirit in and through his life. We cannot skip this book, fast forward this book, and expect to overcome the devil. We cannot skip or fast forward this book and expect to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. A guy called R.A. Torrey, many of you would have heard of, said, the power that belongs to God is stored in the great reservoir of his own word, the Bible. And in all three times, in the waiting, in the testing, in the challenge, in, in the shift from full and led to power, what did Jesus say every time? It is written, it is written, it is written. He knew what the Scripture said. They were the bread of life to him. They were the bread of life. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 3. He says, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He fed himself. On the word. And he says from every word, not just some words, favorite words, selected words, easy to accept words, but every word. He didn't just feed himself on it, he lived by it. He knew this book is the breath of God. For from it, uh, sorry, man shall live, not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knew that this book, friends, is God breathed. He knew, and we need to get back to this, that there is life in these pages. That when we open it and read it and feed ourselves on it and live by it, life comes. And Jesus begins to teach us we need to elevate again. If we want to shift into new levels of the Holy Spirit, we need to elevate again the place of the Word. We need to love this book and prize this book and value this book and approach this book in the right way. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul rejoices. He says, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work within you. So if I begin to receive this when I read it or I hear it just as the as, as the word of man, it won't do its full work in me. 
But if I receive it as the word of God, as God breathed, it works effectively in my life. So how this book actually works in my life depends in part upon how I receive it. How I hear it. I'm going to quote Derek Prince a few times today. I think his stuff is just so good. He says, never set limits to what the Bible can do in your life. Go out, look at the oceans, look at the mountains, the tremendous creative power of God demonstrated. And then say to yourself, the same agents that created all those things are working in me when I read my Bible. Wow. That just kind of, you know when you just see something, you're just like blown away by the God of creation. The same one who created that is working in me when I read this book. And so I'm just going to touch on real quickly, and it is real quick. On the journey to experiencing new levels of the Holy Spirit, let me just share three things the devil will show up and try to do. The first one is he's going to show up and try and make you doubt. He never asked Jesus to deny the Bible. He asked him to doubt what it said. He first wanted to get him to doubt it. Let me tell you, the, de- the enemy will do whatever he can and use whoever he can to encourage you to doubt what this book says. His tactics aren't new. They're tried and trusted and proven. We know that from the Garden of Eden. Right back there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, I've touched on this many times. He begins to question, what did God, but did God say? But did God say doubt? The wheels come off in the garden because the devil gets them questioning what God has said. And he starts twisting. And we see he tries it on with Jesus. Well, it's written. It says this. Let me tell you, the devil is an absolute pro at mixing truth and error. Mixing truth and mixing error. Mixing the two together. And Derek Prince says, I told you I'm going to quote him two or three times, says this, whenever Satan persuades people to question Scripture, he has always brought them to a place where they actually deny it. I just want to say how we are seeing this play out right now. How we're seeing it play play out in places like the Church of England and in gender debates and in the news. If I can bring them to a place where they begin to question it, then I can move them to a place where they'll deny it. And he turns up and he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God... Well, in verse chapter 3 and verse uh, 17 at Jesus' baptism, what did God the Father speak over him? That you're my son, my beloved son, and I love you. And the devil rides in hot off the back of it and says, if you are the son of God, let me move you to a place of doubt. But Jesus dealt with that temptation by meeting it with the word of God and he spoke it out. My last Derek Prince quote for the day says this, The Bible won't protect you on your bookshelf. It only works when you quote it. Then it becomes a sword, Ephesians 6, 17, that makes the devil back off. We can't win an argument with the devil. You've got to meet him with the Scripture. Whenever Jesus said, it is written, note that Satan changed the subject. He knew he had no answer. I love that. There was no debate, no argument. So on the journey from fool and led to power, you'll go through moments when the devil will show up, number one, and try and make you doubt. Number two, he's going to show up and test your trust. Verse two through to seven. The devil's saying to him, test God. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. This book teaches me, trust God. Within these pages, I find reasons 
to trust. Feed your trust. Trusting is rooted in knowing what God says. Testing is rooted in pressure. When you test someone, you put them under pressure. And the devil's trying to put Jesus under pressure from every angle. He's hungry and Satan tries to persuade him. Why don't you just turn the stones to bread yourself? Why don't you start relying upon... Here's the pressure. Drift from trust to taking it into your own hands. Drift from trust to you're hungry. Get what you need. Get what you want. Move from trust to independence. You do it. You sort it. You satisfy yourself. You take matters into your own hands. Go get what you need. Go get what you need. Go get what you want. We'll come under that same pressure. Second one was this. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. The pressure to prove yourself. The pressure to perform. The pressure to prove yourself and what you can do. And some of us, being honest, we struggle with that. We feel like we're living in a place of like, oh, I feel like I'm trying to prove myself. Don't feel good enough. Self-esteem's low. Confidence levels may be low. And you feel like you live in a perpetual cycle and the devil's hot on your back often going, come on, you're not good enough. Prove yourself. Step up. Be better. Do better. Jesus met that pressure with the word of God. Then there's the test, the pressure to get God to prove himself to you. Is he going to catch you when you fall? That's my paraphrase. He's going to get his angels to catch you and everything will be all right and he'll take care of you. All the pressure he piles on, the questions he brings. Will God show up? Can you trust God? Test him. Put God under pressure to perform. And if it doesn't work out like you like, then we find ourselves in with offense or maybe even resentment. It doesn't work out like I hoped. Friends, the only way to relieve the pressure is the word. Because this book helps you to live from a place of trust. It tells me I'm chosen. It tells me I'm loved. It tells me I'm accepted in Christ. It tells me I'm loved for who I am, not for what I do. It tells me that he's Lord. It tells me that he's in control. It tells me he has a purpose. He has a plan. It tells me there's a day coming when all things will make sense. It tells me he's working behind the scenes for my good. So that on the journey from full to lead and power, the devil will show up and he'll make you doubt, he'll test your trust. And thirdly and lastly, he'll try and steal your worship. Worship me. He sought to move Jesus to a place where the focus of what he adored and loved in his life was no longer the Father. He's that voice that comes and says, this is what you need to worship. This is what you need to pursue. This is what you need to go after and live for, not for God. But Jesus effectively said this. This word teaches me. There is no one else and nothing else worthy of my praise but God alone. And the devil left him because he couldn't draw him from a place of worship. He couldn't make him trust or live for anything else or anyone else. So we can't pray for power but neglect the Bible. There's no way to fast forward to power. But this book will help lead us there. The Spirit and the Word must come together. As I finish today, I want to tell you just quickly, and I'm not going to preach on everyone, I promise. I'll whiz through real quick. 25 things 
And it's not even all of them, but just 25 that I've got to share with you now. 25 things this book will do for you and it will do for me. The effects of the word. It is the source of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. If you don't have it or you want to grow in it, go get it. And I want to say it says comes from hearing. Read it out. Let your own ears hear you as you read it out. Faith grows as we read this book. It's the source of salvation. We're born again by the word of God. It's the source of truth. It's the source of spiritual food. It nourishes me. The source of spiritual growth. It provides for every stage of my spiritual growth from milk to meat. I grow in God as I read this book. It's illumination, revelation, and understanding. I find physical healing through this book. He sent his word and healed them. A victory over sin and Satan as I read this book. Victory over temptation. Purity and holiness. Man, I know this is insane in this world to try and live a pure and clean life in the type of culture we live in. But this book teaches me if I live by it, it's possible. Okay? It's cleansing and sanctifying. I'm redeemed by the blood of Christ. I'm cleansed by his word. It leads me to a happy and blessed life. It's a book of self-diagnosis. If incisive, it's able to determine what is spiritual and what is soulish. It's able to determine the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. It's the only book I read with the ability to go right deep down inside of who I am, into my very human personality where even a surgeon's scalpel cannot go and determine what's going on. I love this quote that says, Remember, when you're reading your Bible, your Bible is reading you. It's like a mirror. When I look in a mirror and I see my physical appearance, I see things that need to change. It doesn't show me my physical appearance, but it shows me what's going on inside. When I look in the mirror and I see something that's wrong or out of place, I act upon what I see. I change that. It's for my good. As we look into this book, I see things that need to change. I'm able to act upon them for my good. It's the book that's the source of life. The Bible says that the Word of God is not dead. It's living and active. This is not just pen on paper. It's the very thing that brings life. It's guidance and wisdom. It helps me to know God's will. In it, I find comfort and hope. It's a key to answered prayer. It's a key to spiritual victory. It's a key to assurance. It's a key to joy. As I read these pages, I begin to experience joy. I become fully equipped to serve God effectively. It's the book that warns me and helps me to know what to do and what not to do. It's the book that brings conviction of sin when we share the gospel. It's the book that brings me peace. It's the book that brings me the knowledge of God. All of this truth, all of this teaches me one big thing, one big truth today, which is the bottom line, which I'll lead you with. The word of God is powerful. And what is going to help us to journey to new levels from full and led by the spirit to moving in the power of the spirit is this book. It's the word of God. As we know, we flow. As we know the word, we flow in new levels of the Holy Spirit. It is written. Amen. Amen. Let's get into it this week. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Whatever was me, dump it. Whatever was you, let it just land. Let it stay. Let it last. Lord, speak to us through this course this week. Help us to shift up priorities. Help us to not condemn ourselves if it's not been brilliant of late. I mean, the enemy wants to jump all over that. But I just thank you. There's a, a grace gives us a clean slate, a fresh start. 
So, Lord, we're, we're not looking at where we may have messed up or failed. We're just coming and thanking you for your grace. We're saying, sorry, Lord. And now we're thanking you that we've got a, a new week, a new chance to start over. And, God, we just invite you just to begin to speak in new, wonderful ways. Holy Spirit, sit with us. Throw the, the lights on as we read the Word. May we just grow in the Word. May we flow in the Holy Spirit. May we begin to shift to new levels in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.